some love affairs change you forever. Someone comes into your orbit and swivels you on your axis, like the wind working on a rooftop weather vane. And when they leave, as the wind always does, you are different. You have a new direction, and it's not always north. But you learn that this was their job, their role in your life. You should let them go. You cannot blame the wind for leaving, for that is what the wind does. I know all that in theory. I'm not an idiot. I'm well versed in contemporary wisdom and the inspiring nature of Instagram memes. But here's the thing. In real life, in the sphere of true human existence, theory holds an old quill pen while a broken heart wields a gun. No competition, really. So that covers the why. Love, broken love, made me do it. Love and a sex tape. The how, on the other hand, is a bit more complicated. And the when? Well, that's the simplest of all. It started four days, 18 hours, and 23 minutes after the strongest gust of wind I'd ever known decided to leave me. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Welcome back to the Good Reading Podcast. My name's Emma, and we're joined in the studio by debut author Pip Drysdale. Pip, welcome. Thanks, Emma. Hi. You recently released your first novel, The Sunday Girl. It's a revenge thriller which is being called The Girl on the Train Meets a Dash of Bridget Jones. Could you, just to start us off, introduce us to your main character, Taylor Bishop, as we meet her at the beginning of the novel? Sure. Um, We meet Taylor very, very heartbroken. (laughs) She is not in a good place when we meet Taylor. Um, She's just come out of a really um, long relationship with someone she loved very deeply. And it wasn't a... um, How can I put this? It wasn't a happy breakup. I mean, I'm not sure any breakups are good, but there are special kind of breakups that are particularly bad, and Taylor had one of those. So um, she's pretty heartbroken, and she's pretty sad, and she's out for revenge. And each chapter of the novel to sort of tie in with this revenge plot is introduced by a quote from 5th century Chinese military treatise, The Art of War. Yes. Um, And Taylor herself consults the book quite closely as she formulates her revenge strategy. Why did you choose The Art of War? Well, that's interesting, actually. Um, I've dated quite a few London bankers. Okay. So um, I definitely got a little bit of life experience into this. So, (laughs) (laughs) But one of the things they use... Well, they have two books, really, that they use to help them... um, get their way through the corporate landscape. One of them is The Art of War, and the other one is Machiavelli's The Prince. Right. Okay, So I'm pretty sure that those mindsets tend to filter through to the way that they treat their girlfriends, you know? So I thought it would be really interesting for her to take that kind of strategy and use it back on him, you know, because those are the exact tactics he has been using on her the whole time. It's just that because Taylor is not that way and she's not sociopathic and she hasn't um, ever been a banker or gone and got an MBA or whatever, <laughs> um, she has to get the book given to her so she can do it. And also I really like The Art of War because it was essentially a military strategy and what's going on underneath the surface is a war between Angus and Taylor. It's this covert, unsaid war 
And so I thought she needed a military strategy, and it seemed like the good one. So so did you have to sit down with the whole book? I did. And, oh. you know, I read two versions because the first one I didn't get. So <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I need The Art of War for Dummies. Oh, right. So I read The Art of War. Well, I found a, like a, I found a clearer version, well, nice. one that I truly understood. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to the original, and then I understood the original. So. Um, well, actually, you say, that, yeah, that these manipulative strategies in The Art of War are quite similar to those corporate types yeah. like Angus and the way that they seek to conquer and control in their relationships. Yeah. Actually, this gave me an idea for a game that I thought we could play. Have you ever heard of oh, Donald no. Trump's <laughs> The Art of the Deal? No, I haven't. Well, so it's it's the book that actually made him become a household name back in like the late 80s. Okay. And it's like part memoir, but part business advice book. Yes. I'm also pretty sure he didn't write it himself. It was ghost written. Yeah. So I thought given the parallels that you draw between The Art of War and many modern businessmen, like... Yeah a tycoon like Trump. Yes. Now we could play a little game I like to call The Art of War or The Art of the Deal. Okay. And I'm going to read a quote from either book. Yeah. And you have to identify which book I think it's the from. quote is from. Okay, cool. But I've only read The Art of War. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. But sort of as a way to sort of point out those parallels that you talk about. Go for it. Because it's actually quite tricky. Is it? To discern <laughs> which is which. Um, okay, cool. Go so ahead. one of them is sometimes your best investments are the ones you don't make. That's definitely the Trump book. The Trump book. The real excitement is playing the game. That's a Trump book. (laughs) It is a Trump book. In the midst of chaos, there is also opportunity. The art of war. That is the art of war. But what is so weird (laughs) is that there's a quote from the Trump book. The worst of times often create the best opportunities. That sounds like Trump, Which is like the same quote, (laughs) never Trumpier. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's another one, which is... I know the Chinese. I've made a lot of money with the Chinese. I understand the Chinese mind. Well, there you go. He's read The Art of War. Oh, he must <laughs> He's like... <laughs> Maybe he can solve it. He's probably it. sitting there with Taylor going oh, like... Oh, <laughs> my God. Yeah. <laughs> so, speaking of, yeah, those London banker types that you yeah. said that you've had personal experience with, do you have any, like, horror stories, dating horror stories that informed um, the book? No particular horror stories. There are definitely teeny tiny bits of truth that mm-hmm. kind of filtered their way into the book and I sort of recontextualized them. So it's like I like to think about um, real life where I find the truths and then I take those truths and I put them into a, like a different context in a narrative where you can express it um, in the best way that kind of put a, puts across what you're trying to put across. Um, so I can't really tell you any without totally making people sound awful. Right. <laughs> It's not really my style. No, that's totally fair. Well, you say, yeah, that your life sort of ends up in a fictional narrative in a small way and then gets hyperbolized. Absolutely. It's like, for instance, someone did give me a book, you know, some guy that I'd um, had like a little bit of a fling with. He did give me a book. It was a completely different book. You know, but that gave me the idea for someone gives you a book, right? right. Um, and they're teeny tiny little things throughout, I think, because as a writer, that's where you get your ideas from. Well, I do. I really think that real life is this amazing tapestry that you can draw from. Um, and if you're not drawing from that, then you're making life way harder for yourself. Actually, that leads me on to this um, thing that I heard, which is that you call yourself a method writer. Could you explain to our audiences what that is? Well, my way of doing it, and I don't know whether it's because I spent so many years as an actor. Um, mm. So my way of doing it is to kind of get into the mind of the character. I write from first-person perspective, so it's really helpful for me to understand where they're coming from and their backstory and the things they want and the things they're scared of and um, what kind of perfume they wear. So I'll buy one and then spray it on myself. Not sure whether that helps, but it's super fun. (laughs) (laughs) So what was the perfume brand? Um, This one was... um, 
Oh, this one was Bottega Veneta. Um, the leather, um, the leather knot one was Taylor. Nice. Yeah. And what else did you do for her character to get into Taylor's um, mind? Well, I used to drive. I mean, I'd um, get on the bus and I'd. I definitely took all the routes to work she took, um, just so that I could see was uh, what was outside. And I, um, oh, what can I say here? <laughs> <laughs> I did lots of things to get into the mind of Taylor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Leave it there. Mysterious. Opening. Mysterious. <laughs> and so speaking of like this hyperbolized version of yeah. your life, despite that, like you said, the novel does have underneath it a certain kind of truth about being brokenhearted and burnt. Yeah which I think a lot of women will still relate to. Yeah. So what do you hope that readers take from the novel? Well, a couple of things, really. Like, the one thing I wanted to do was really give a realistic understanding of what it's like to be properly brokenhearted. I think it's hard to get back into that mindset when you're not there. You know, when you're not heartbroken, you look at people who are heartbroken and you sort of think, well, oh, my God, get over it. (laughs) But when you are the heartbroken person, you literally can't. Um, So I wanted to kind of create that feeling in the reader where they could remember the ups and the downs and the wishing he'd come back and the hating and the, you know, because it's not a straight line to um, getting better. The other thing I really wanted was to um, create an understanding of women and why they stay in these really toxic relationships, you know, because we all do it to one extent or another and make excuses and that kind of thing. And I think that often we judge each other and I felt like, it would be really cool to put it in a context where people might understand why someone stays in such a difficult situation and actually gets that they might too, because then it creates a level of understanding, you know, between people. And Taylor is for sure, she's an example of a bit of an anti-hero. Yeah, totally. But I love those. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And something of like, yeah, the spotty handed Lady Macbeth villainess, so powerful, but flawed. Yeah. Um, why do you think these kinds of representations of women in particular are so important? Because I think a lot of the time we go the other way. A lot of the time we take the high road and we push down our feelings, which is what Taylor has always done until this point. Like when in the first chapter I talk about how she's always been like the good girl and she's always been the girl you take home to meet your parents and she doesn't make a fuss and, you know, Historically, if someone broke up with her, she probably would have smiled and said it was fine and moved on and been sweet about it. But because Angus has been so awful, it gives her this other level of fire inside her. And I think she's really tired of being the good girl. She wants to, she's just like, she snaps. So you yourself, to sort of take this back around to when you were saying that life is this tapestry and that is what influences your writing, other than the specific research you did for this book, what has your life been like? I read online that your philosophy is to find a globe, spin it, and pick a spot. Yeah, that so has historically you, been. Yeah. <laughs> so where, what have you been up to? Well, lots of things, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Legitimately, um, it hasn't been dull. Um, let's see. I, I lived in Africa for a while, both in Cape Town and Zimbabwe when I was growing up, also in Melbourne. Um I lived in New York for three years as an actress. Um, I lived in Perth for a while. I'm back there now for a bit. Um, I lived in in London for about seven years on and off. I might go back there. I don't know. Um, I've been an actress. I've been a singer-songwriter. And I've travelled around doing a lot of little shows, doing songwriting and singing and that kind of thing. Yeah, I've been doing lots of things. Dated lots of very interesting men who have definitely taught me a lot about life. 
And that's about it, really. <laughs> and other than the men, the yeah. interesting men, um, has some of your like background in music or your background in theatre, does that tie into your writing at all? I think so. Like I said before, I really believe that um, training as an actress helps you to get in someone's mind, right? And so that helps you when you're writing something because you're already able to identify yourself as somebody different and also somebody who's doing things that you might not personally do. Like I like to think I wouldn't do the things Taylor does. Who knows? <laughs> but like, you know, I think it helps me to get into the mind of it. But the music definitely helps because... Language is really poetic, and when you read something out loud, it's a very poetic thing. You you have triplets and beats and silences and, you know, all the same stuff that's in music. It's just that instead of there being a melody, it's simply words. And I have to say there definitely there is a real rhythm to the way that this book is written. Oh, thank you. And the dialogue as well. Is oh that, yeah, I love the dialogue. It's cool. Well, I wanted like really I wanted dialogue that was kind of movie worthy, you know? Oh, like yeah. I really wanted the kind of dialogue where you go shit, I wish that I had sorry, am I allowed to say that? Yeah. Oh, okay. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> where I was like um I wish that, you know, I wanted the kind of dialogue where it's the kind of dialogue you wish that you would have in real life all the time. I have to say, I have some hell witty friends, so we do have that kind of dialogue. <laughs> I feel that they are wittier than I am. <laughs> so, so you're sitting there with your notepad. I'm sitting down. there. Yeah, later, later, I'm lying in bed, going, "Wow, she's clever." <laughs> you know? Perfect scene for my next book. Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, so. what is next for you? Um, well, I'm writing it at the moment. Um, it's also a female protagonist, also um, psychological thriller with the same kind of bent on it. So there is light and there is shade and there's a teeny tiny bit of dark humour and there is um, and it's set in London. Um, yeah, very different story, very different girl, but there are elements that are similar. And you go, because you're a method writer, does that mean you have to go back to London? Well, I did go back to do oh, some cool. research. Um, February, March, I went back and lived in the area that she is because she's Notting Hill way um, and got a feel for things around there because there are some things you can't get from Google Maps, you know, like the sound of things and the mm -hmm. smell of things. You know, there's a limit. Um, and I kind of walked around and just got the feelings and took loads of notes and loads of photographs. I swear to God, I'm never getting through all those photographs. <laughs> and video of puddles with, like, what they look like when the rain's hitting them and random things. <laughs> so you sound like relatives on Facebook who are like, my holiday. Yeah, exactly. Except mine doesn't go on Facebook. It sits there and then I'm like, wow, I'm never looking at this. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was cool. So what is your favourite place to write? Is it London? Is it Perth? Um, I find London inordinately... Um, inspiring. I get ideas there that I don't get in other places. Um, I think there's a lot more energy in the air and that um, that really inspires me and it stimulates my mind. I find Perth very quiet. It can be a very good place to do um, a rewrite. So if you have to focus like hell and do 12-hour, 14-hour days for two weeks or three weeks, Perth is your place. Well, my place, right? Um, but for actually coming up with, with first draft ideas, it's really helpful for me to be somewhere like London because they're very different types of people there and it's a very different um, energy. And so you want that to come through into the book. Um, but where I actually write is in bed. So oh. <laughs> that could change. That is like pretty movable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, what's next to your bed on your bedside table in terms of books? Oh, my God, so many. 
I think because I've been working so hard on this new draft, I really haven't had a lot of time. Oh, you know what I did read? I had to read, um, I was on a panel um, in Melbourne and I had to read their books. So one was Mine by Susie Fox and the other one was The Escape Room by Megan Golden. So I've definitely read those two and The Book Ninja. And what's on my bedside table now? I literally can't tell you. I think The Woman in the Window because I read it ages ago and it's still sitting there. Yep. Like, um, I can't tell you. What are you, What are some of your favourites? So even if they're not... Lolita. Yep. Definitely Lolita. I just love that book. I love his... I love his use of language. I love, if you're going to look for musical prose, that's it, you know, mm. and colourful prose and interesting. And I love that he uses um, a protagonist that you really should not like. I mean, there are so many, he's like a sociopathic pedophile, but he's funny and you do kind of like him. And I thought that was incredibly skillful and it made me want to write those kind of characters, the kind that they're not just... Um, it's not a black and white good bad thing. It's a case of they do bad things, but you kind of like them, because I think there are a lot of male characters out there like that, but there aren't that many female characters out like that out there. So I really wanted to try to do that, which is what I did with Taylor, because she's not simply the woman scorned who's evil and goes and takes revenge, and she's so dark and one-minded about it. She's there's a lot of good to her too. And you could see that she could either go one way or the other. So it's kind of like she's taking the light feminine and the dark feminine and putting them both into the same person. Um, but Lolita was actually the book that I had read um, just before I started writing this book. Well, Pip, I think that that's all we have time for. The Sunday Girl is an incredibly impressive debut, unputdownable. It can be found at goodreading.com.au or at any good bookstore. Pip, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me.